Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Friday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. With the story of Micah and his idols and the story of the Levite and his concubine, we've seen how far Israel has sunk into depravity and sin. And those two stories are a lead-up to the story of King David, the bright, shining moment in Israel's history. And that's where we're headed today. Our story begins at the home of Elkanah, an Ephraimite living quietly in the hill country of Ephraim with his two wives, Hannah, who was childless, and Panina, who was not. We read, There was a certain man from Ramathiim, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, the son of Yeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives, one named Hannah and the other Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Each year, this man went up from his city to worship and offer sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were ministering as priests of the Lord. When the day came for Elkanah to offer sacrifice, he used to give portions to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters, but he would give a double portion to Hannah because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Her, arrive, her rival, to upset her, would torment her constantly since the Lord had closed her womb. Year after year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, Panina would provoke her, and Hannah would weep and refuse to eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why are you not eating? Why are you so miserable? After all, you got me. <laughs> what was the man thinking? Now, the last man we read about living in the hill country of Ephraim was the Levite and his concubine back in Judges 19. His concubine ran away. He went after her. And on the way back, they were attacked. She was gang-raped and murdered. And the Levite cut her corpse into 12 pieces, sending them throughout Israel and starting a civil war. Beginning 1 Samuel with a man and his two wives living in the hill country of Ephraim does not bode well. Our antennae should be up and quivering. Hannah, being loved and childless while her husband's second wife has children, should remind us of others in the same position. Sarah and Rachel, both of whom play important roles in fulfilling God's covenant with Israel. Now, our antennae should really be up. Hannah has potential. Now, Hannah rose after one such meal at Shiloh and presented herself before the Lord. Can you picture it? The meal being dished out, a spoon on one plate, a spoon on another, a spoon on another, and then Hannah, one, two, three, four spoons. <laughs> well, after one such meal, Hannah presented herself before the Lord at Shiloh. At the time, Eli the priest was sitting on a chair near the doorpost of the Lord's temple. 
He was just leaning back on his chair, big fat man. In her bitterness, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping freely. Oh, just weeping and weeping. And saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Now she kept praying to the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Now, Eli thought she was drunk. And he said to her, How long will you keep getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Oh, not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, oh, All right, then go in peace, and may God grant you whatever it was you wanted. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose, they worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. So Hannah prays fervently that God might grant her a child, a boy, promising that if God does, the boy will be a lifelong Nazarite. Ironically, a Nazarite does not drink wine, and Eli has just accused Hannah of being drunk. In addition, the only other lifelong Nazarite to this point in our story was Samson, back in the book of Judges. And again, it doesn't bode well, for, as you recall, Samson was a colossal failure. Now, Hannah had been married to Elkanah for quite some time, and she remained childless. But now, after returning home to Ramah, she quickly becomes pregnant. The scene recalls Ruth being married to Naomi's son Mahlon for 10 years, being childless. But once married to Boaz, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, she becomes pregnant overnight, giving birth to Obed, who will be the grandfather of King David. The scriptural threads are woven tightly together here as we move into the foothills of the King David story. Now we continue. Hannah conceived and at the end of her pregnancy bore a son whom she named Samuel because I asked the Lord for him. Now the next time her husband Elkanah was going up with the rest of his household to offer the customary sacrifice to the Lord and fulfill his vows, Hannah did not go, explaining to her husband, once the child is weaned, I'll take him to appear before the Lord and leave him there forever. She could just not Heart from her little boy. Her husband Elkanah answered, Do what you think best. Wait until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord fulfill his word. 
and so she remained at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now once he was weaned, she brought him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and presented him at the house of the Lord in Shiloh. So little Samuel is weaned after three years. When the little boy is born and presented before the Lord, the parents offer a sacrifice, a perfect year-old male bull, the best you could offer. Well, we now have a three-year-old bull. So little Samuel's two, three years old. After they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the child to Eli. And then Hannah spoke up, excuse me, my Lord. As you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here near you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child and the Lord granted my request. Now I, in turn, give him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be dedicated to the Lord. Then they worship there before the Lord. So again, after a woman gives birth to a boy, Leviticus 12 tells us that 80 days later, she's to offer God that year-old lamb as a burnt offering along with a pigeon or a dove. An even better offering, according to Leviticus, would be that perfect, unblemished year-old bull. So Elkanah and Hannah offer a three-year-old bull for little Samuel. As we've noted, Samuel will mark the transition from ad hoc judges, people who arise to the cause and then theoretically fade into the background, to a monarchy, a king. By being brought up at the tabernacle by Eli the priest, Samuel will also supplant the power of the priesthood. Eli and his sons will die, as we'll see. Samuel will go on to offer sacrifices, a function previously reserved solely for the priesthood. Hannah next offers a prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer remarkably similar to Mary's prayer, the Magnificat, in Luke. Listen carefully to Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2 beginning at verse 1. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumble are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry hunger no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles, he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked he will silence in darkness." 
It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Now, compare Hannah's prayer to Mary's Magnificat over in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 46. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has sacrificed has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remaining and remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Hannah's prayer gives praise and thanksgiving for the birth and ministry of Samuel, who will anoint David as king of Israel. Mary's prayer gives praise and thanksgiving for Jesus, the son of David, who will be king of kings and lord of lords. Listen to the opening lines of birth. Hannah, my heart exalts in the Lord. Mary, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. Hannah, my horn is exalted by my God. Mary, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And so on, the parallels continue through both prayers. And now, Hannah leaves little Samuel with Eli the priest to be raised at the tabernacle. And she must have been very sad leaving him there. Now we read in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, the sons of Eli were wicked. They had respect neither for the Lord nor for the priest's duties toward the people. When someone offered a sacrifice, the priest's servants would come with a three-pronged fork while the meat was still boiling and would thrust it into the basin, kettle, cauldron, or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. They treated all the Israelites who came to the sanctuary at Shiloh this very same way. In fact, even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the one offering the sacrifice, Give me the meat to roast for the priest. He will not accept boiled meat from you, only raw. He wants barbecue, not boiled meat. And if one protested, Well, let the fat be burned first, then take what you wish. He replied, No, 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 give me meat with marbling. Give it to me now, or I'll take it by force. And thus the young men sinned grievously in the presence of the Lord, treating the offerings to the Lord with disdain. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that back in the days when the judges ruled, the priesthood had become corrupt, along with everything else. Eli, the priest, is a big, fat man, and his two sons are crooked as a dog's hind leg, stealing not only from the people, but also from God. 
And again, this does not bode well. Hannah thought she was doing the right thing, dedicating little Samuel to God by having him raised at the tabernacle by Eli. But how will Samuel turn out, growing up in such a corrupt environment? And Hannah misses him terribly. We read in, second, in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel, wearing a linen ephod, was serving in the presence of the Lord. His mother used to make a little garment for him, which she would bring him each time she went up with her husband to offer the customary sacrifice. So every year, she would bring a gift. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife as they were leaving for home. And he would say, May the Lord repay you with children from this woman for the gift she has made to the Lord. Well, the Lord favored Hannah so that she conceived and gave birth to three more sons and two daughters, while young Samuel grew up in the service of the Lord. I think that's so sweet. Every year, when Elkanah and Hannah would visit the tabernacle, Hannah would bring Samuel a new little coat, a blue coat with big brass buttons. She'd think about little Samuel getting bigger every year and spend the whole year working on that little coat. Now, when Eli was very old, he kept hearing how his sons were treating all Israel and that they were behaving promiscuously with the women serving at the entry of the meeting tent. So he said to them, Why are you doing such things? I hear from everyone that your behavior is depraved. Stop this, my sons. So Samuel grew, Eli's sons became ever more corrupt, not only thrusting forks into the pot, taking meat dedicated to God, but deflowering the young virgins who served at the tabernacle. And the Hebrew wordplay here creates a clever phallic resonance between thrusting forks into the pot and the action of deflowering the young virgins. But I'll bet God will put a stop to all this. Remember, we're setting up the David story. God is going to bring Eli and his sons to a bad end, and it's going to smack Israel upside the head with a two-by-four to get its attention. So just watch what happens. We start reading at chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, verse 27. Now, a man from God came to Eli and said, this is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your father's house when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your father out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your father's house all the offerings made with fire by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house and your father's house would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, Far be it from me, those who honor me I will honor, those who despise me I will disdain. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your father's house so there will not be an old man in your family line and you will see distress in my dwelling. 
Although good will be done to Israel, in your family line, there will never be an old man. Every one of you that I do not cut off from my altar will be spared only to be to blind your eyes with tears and to grieve your heart, and all your descendants will die in the prime of life. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be a sign to you. They will both die on the same day. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his house and will minister before my anointed one always. Then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a crust of bread. And they'll plead, Oh, please appoint me to some priestly office so I can have food to eat. That's a terrible curse. Stunningly, Young Samuel seems unfazed by all the corruption and scandals surrounding him. In the case of Samuel, his mother's prayers and her annual visits sustain him while God watches over him and protects him. God has a unique role for Samuel. And unlike Samson, the only other lifelong Nazarite so far, Samuel will rise to the task as God works patiently with him. We read, during the time young Samuel was ministered to the Lord under Eli, the word of the Lord was scarce and vision infrequent. Not because God wasn't speaking, but because people were not listening, except for Samuel. We read in chapter 3, beginning at verse 2, One day Eli was asleep in his usual place. His eyes had lately grown so weak that he could not see. The lamp of God was not yet extinguished, and Samuel was sleeping in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And the Lord called to Samuel, who answered, Here I am. He ran to Eli. Here I am. You called me. I I did not call you, Eli answered. Go go back to sleep. So he went back to sleep. Again, the Lord called Samuel, Samuel, who rose and went to Eli. Here I am. He said, you called me. Eli said, I did not call you, my son. Go back to bed. Samuel did not yet recognize the Lord since the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now notice that Eli has lost his sight. He's now nearly blind. His blindness reflects not only his old age and decrepitude, but also the spiritual blindness that's crept upon him over a long life of inattention and compromise. Conversely, young Samuel is bathed in the lamp of God, sleeping next to the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. Twice, God speaks to Samuel, and Samuel, thinking Eli's calling him, goes to Eli, only to be sent back to bed. But the third time is the charm. The Lord called Samuel again for the third time. Getting up and going to Eli, he said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli understood that the Lord was calling Samuel. So he said to Samuel, Go to sleep, and if you're called, reply, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. When Samuel went to sleep in his place, the Lord came and stood there calling out as before, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant is listening. 
And the Lord said to Samuel, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. On that day, I will carry out against Eli everything I have said about his house beginning to end. I announce to him that I am condemning his house once and for all because of this crime. Though he knew his sons were blaspheming God, he did not reprove them. Therefore, I swear to Eli's house, no sacrifice or offering will ever expiate its crime. Samuel then slept till morning. When he got up early and opened the doors of the temple of the Lord, he was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called to him, Samuel, my son, here I am. Eli asked, so what did he say to you? Hide nothing from me. May God do thus to you and more if you hide a single word from me. So Samuel told him everything. He held nothing back. Eli answered, It is the Lord. What is pleasing in the Lord's sight, the Lord will do. In other words, I'm toast. (laughs) Samuel grew up. The Lord was with him, not permitting any word of his to go unfulfilled. Thus all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, furthest north to the furthest south, coast to coast, would say, came to know that Samuel was a trustworthy prophet of the Lord. And the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, manifesting himself to Samuel at Shiloh through his word. Samuel's word spread all throughout Israel. Samuel is now poised to supersede Eli and his sons, and for a time, the priesthood, while becoming Israel's 14th and final judge. All we need to do is clear the deck of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas. And that will be coming right up on Monday. All right, here we are at the end of Friday. End of a week. Thank you for being with me. And I really look forward to working up into the story of King David. I hope you're with me and enjoy it. I sure do. And I thank you for sharing it with me. Bye-bye now.